hello, hello, and welcome to, hello, 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 and welcome to, hello, 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 and welcome to Pop Cartoon, Kabbalah, 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 coming at you from the Ala Valley. It's a new day and a new year. It's a new life and a new clarity towards. Hello. Pop cartoon Kabbalah is here to explain and relate the things we already kind of notice along with things bridging the noticings. I think that's the main hope of uh, precedent and tradition and insight and uh, what do you call it? Scrying, (laughs) reading, is noticing the relationship between the things we notice. Because the things we don't notice, we may not be that interested in unless we're willing to notice how related they are to what we're curious to be invested in or nervous about. And I want to try to explain, explain, give over the Libra tendency in the context of this. Because I don't understand Libra in some deep way. I have not. And a lot of my work in developing a sort of uh, Kabbalistic astrology theory in the context of pop modernity and recurrent tradition in media, let's call it. I've noticed amidst this, I tend to lose focus during the seventh month because of the holidays. Excuses, excuses. But I feel like my theology and relationship to the seventh month holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Simchas Torah, are so bound in their own cycles of association, unrelated to astrology, ostensibly. So much so as to uh, demolish my capacity for coherent understanding of the expanded pattern. And we talked last month about how much Mercury ruling Virgo was a lot of the organizing tendency that begins to settle in, in recognition of the patterns that start to form. Let's say from the first month in Nissan in March, the initial blast of thing is just like, Buha! just the, the war, the introduction, the, the, the initial ramming of the ram that pivots to the Venus rule Taurus that is processing and defined a little bit in its processing of the new that happened. And we can define all beginnings in these terms as astrology and as any kind of uh, universal numbering system asks to or offers to, you know, 
as long as one is one, it's always going to be one. It's always going to do the one kind of things. As long as two is two, it's always going to be like two and do the two kind of things. And one of the quirky inversions of my expectation that I find in learning the Zodiac is how much my bias is towards a bipolarity that is the sun and the moon. Maybe yours is too. You know, when you think of duality, do you think of the sun and the moon? I do. And I don't necessarily think of Mars and Venus, you know, as a duality. I do think of them as a polarity in relationship to the sun. For example, Mars traditionally is the closest to the sun away from the earth. And Venus is the closest to the sun closer towards the earth. And these are the two separate camps of three that function in relationship to um, what I think of as the classical seven cycle. Because a lot of the depth and mystery of the relationship of the movements and the sort of dips and interactions of the fundamental polarities is where they get reconciled. Let's say, let's say you have two extremes, east and west, and then you have a center to kind of ground them that forms in the middle of them, but that center is north, rather than really center, you know? And I think this is a truism for the formation of numbers in their initial forms. Even triangles give way to fourth sides in order to form. And then triangles tend to find other triangles and bond and make sort of squares and cubes um, or something. Like, where is this thing I'm saying true? I would like to suggest or wonder with you about the way it's true in time in the creation of the cycles. Because I think wondering about the way it's true in the other uh, 12 system traditionally associated with 12s and you know, ancient mysticisms besides for the sort of heavenly temporal one is the organs in the body as the physical one. And as a metaphor with any degree of literal physical health complex theory adjacent to it, but a metaphor at the very least for the range of how and where things feel. And this is part of why astrology is associated with very terrestrial feelings and experience. And as much as we describe the Virgo as being the sort of ordering instinct, I wonder deeply what is Libra, which I think of as the ordering instinct, you know, and in many ways, I think I've always been a little confused by the dynamic between Elul and Tishrei, between uh, Virgo and Libra. Whereas the repentance process or tendency in Elul, I think, is an offset to the sort of organizing judgment tendency. You know, the more I'm judging, the more I'm organizing, the more I need to take responsibility. And part of taking responsibility at its highest is being a little sorry. And maybe I'm exaggerating or misrepresenting what at its highest means. Because maybe there's a certain kind of at its highest that is never sorry, you know, that takes responsibility not through apology and not from apology and not from humility and not from humiliation, but from uh, just noticing and owning. 
But I'll tell you the truth. It's hard to imagine that owning in the absence of something like regret. It's hard to imagine responsibility being taken purely from yes and of course as much as uh, all that along with sure i'm so sorry i wish i could do more like, there is something about i'm sorry i wish i could do more that points to an infinite aspiration that can never quite be uh, resolved or quite even felt good about i'm sorry I wish I could do more. And a lot of the infinite sorry of Yom Kippur, I think, as opposed to the sort of uh, finite investigative sorry of Elul. Because in Elul, what am I sorry about? I don't know. Let's check. You know, let's go through it. Go through the uh, Slichot cries. Mostly felt through appreciation, I think, more than shame. And just noticing partially around the frustrations. Because around my frustrations, am I really able to see what I'm sorry about? And what I wish almost unrelated to, or maybe even totally in tandem with the kind of sorry I am. I was looking it up difference between Virgo and Libra in terms of that organizing influence. And the main difference I've noticed traditionally is in the aspiration. I'm going to quote uh, Well and Good, uh, Stephanie Iris Weiss, astrologer. Libras are always searching for that ever-elusive balance. And when they're born near the cusp of Virgo, they tend to experience this anxiety more acutely. And this is the main difference I've heard. Noticing how much more you want to be writer, as opposed to noticing just the way things are and our feelings around them. Associated with uh, justice itself, it's ironic because the name Libra, I think of as being uh, to let something go, but it's called that because it is the scale. Libra is like a pound in Spanish, you know, the weight of a thing. And the association with literacy and attention, I think, go back to the weight of a thing. And to this end, I want to share with you a piece from the Bnei Saschai. It's a bit further in. He suggests after a long exposition about the shofar after a brief exposition about just the nature of Tishrei as Virgo itself 
as part of the urge and need to return as the rebalancing talks about the construction of the holy that really is the essence of rebalancing because there are three parts the initial call yom trua the initial response gdula tshuva and from there the already existent harmony which is the seventh and is the balance that appears to be there only because of how much it notices how much it's not there. And this is idealism. This is in relationship to the next thing and in relationship to the thing before. Noticing and balancing. And being the change because of the absence we can't help but notice. I'm going to learn an incredibly short part of the beginning. The letter order for the moon is Vav Hey Yud Hey. Understood, come out from the line. And they saw you, and they saw you, the officers of Pharaoh. Right? The aforementioned ordering impulse. Yom And then Shuva. And now we're skipping down to Ma'amar. Hey, Days in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Just the window of eight days that allows something to happen. A return? Hunikrat fi b'nei Yisrael yom yimu gimel me'ediv dos bo yuval ayom enchil b'nei Yisrael chanech ha'bet mikdash b'mei Shlomo. The first temple of Shlomo HaMelech, of King Solomon, was the beginning of a lot of things, including this process, including these practices, including some of these organs and organizings. And in this slow-mo prayed his prayer on everyone in this time, that the structure of the holy should be able to be built. And even when we're so far away from anywhere we can do anything and make anything stable or right, it's still a great time for reintegration and just noticing. Because the difference between noticing the mess that's there 
and the good thing that sort of needs to be there is maybe part of the difference between Mercury and Venus, right? And it's a pivot back away from the order where Taurus gives way to Gemini and the feeling of what it is to feel into the thing gives way to the first organizing impulse. And eventually after the resolution of the moon and the sun, pivoting back the other way from the measuring impulse into noticing how it feels and what's missing and what needs to be there. One of the major prayers of this time is that uh, prayer for the merciful one to remember the structure, the shade that King Solomon built for us. Every call for mercy in the traditional order set on these days asks that we remember something or fulfill something in the name of something. And for King Solomon, for Shlomo, we're asking specifically the faith and the shade, the refuge and the shelter of the structure. And this is almost as if no one ever prayed a prayer between before Shlomo. But it's not true. Moses prayed. And prayed and prayed at Hanan. Pinchas, who becomes whatever becomes. Clearly prayed, stood up and prayed. Has his own prayer in Psalms uh, 106. And of course, Psalms. King David singing the infinities. In this way, knowing that a mistake is always bringing me back to the place where I can't build, knowing that my mistakes are always bringing me back to a state where I can't seem to make anything good. And this is the general wisdom of Solomon. Gamzeyavor, this too will pass. And in the meantime, what can I do but build a structure to bring back their hearts, bring back my hearts, and to know that some integration return back to my land, myself, my priorities, my integrity is possible. I'm in the heavens here to be your eyes open to the pleas of your servants and so on. And that is to say, it's a question, how could it be said that there's, you know, 
God has ears that could be paying more attention. Kind of a mystery. And this idea that prayer is somehow received, you know, and justified in Jupiter, in justice, in language of hearing and not seeing. So it is, to my understanding, you know, there's a difference between seeing and hearing. And this is usually a sun, moon, cancer, Leo Torah. But it's bringing it up here. Because hearing is awakening from the thing that's heard to the hearer. That's just how hearing is. And this is awakening from above, of above. You hear it, it's like, what? Well, Okay. I'm sorry. The hearing is from below because the hearer hears, but seeing is from above. Of the seer or the seen to the seer. And King Solomon, on the day of starting to bring close the closenifiers, you know, sacrifice the sacrifices, the temple, that themselves are bring closifiers. The word for sacrifice, right, korbanot, is bring closifier. And they are a good smell, which is an awakening from below. The smeller smells and is drawn to. And from that day forwards, all sacrifices, and in many ways, all these ways of bringing, getting close, were just outlawed. Just right away. Forever. Until the temple was initiated, anyone could make quote-unquote sacrifices, you know, barbecues anywhere. And in the absence of the temple, they're not quite the thing ever again. Because the little version that we do can't quite be the big version, right? The sacred itself can't be the old sacred. Can't even come close. Because the sense of the missing is too fundamental to it ever having been a certain way. And we just don't have the power to make an awakening from below, have an assemblage, have a scale of awesome that's reliable and functional. Alas, alas. And behold, on that very day where everything started and everything ended, Shlomo, King Solomon prayed, Israel, 
אשר חוש הרעות מוריאל ירתא דלילה וזהו אנחנו מבקשים רחמנא דיקר לאנצלותא דשלום המלכה ואין. And this is why the prayer, from the day that we couldn't smell the things, is the day we couldn't wake up from below. So from now on, all this time has to be waking up from above. And this is what I'm talking about, the ordering impulse. From heaven, the sense of the thing above, which is just the redemption that you can only but see and have eyes open for, and have eyes open for us. And this is the prayer to God for the shade of Shlomo, the thing you can see that keeps you from being overwhelmed and overcome, and the thing that is promised built into the time that lets us have enough coolness and perspective to notice what else needs to be made and worked on. והנה ביום נבחר לזהם, תחילת חינוך בית מקדש, משמינים לבני התשובה, אשר בפלאר שלמה ותפילה הזאת, אז היא תחילת לחות הבטחה. לכל ההבטחה הבטיח קדוש ברוך הוא לאברהם שאמר, קדוש ברוך הוא פן יכתוב בני ותעשה להם The days of Tshuva, like the days right before Yom Kippur, is the beginning of the education of the Temple, on which he prayed this prayer. That would be the beginning of the promise, and the beginning of the guarantee, the beginning of the thing that's already built. Let's say part of the challenge and frustration of obsessive compulsiveness, right, of trying to make order and trying to pull things together, is how much more there is to do. And only in making peace with how much I couldn't do and making peace with how much can we start to notice how much we really need to do. And maybe this is the difference between Virgo and Libra, the scale that's in her hands, the sense she has of what actually needs to happen, and the sense of promise in the scales themselves. Someone pointed out it's the only one that's an object and not a being, the scale itself. But that object is personified and winged. Oh, this is the promise that God told Abraham that however bad it gets, it could only be so bad before everyone comes back together for the thing at the end of the thing. Right? Abraham was worried it won't always be possible. And God said, no, it's okay. I already told you the order of it. Right? Even the sacrifices that can't be burned, the story and order of them, the understanding of them is its own infinite brilliance. And it comes down to us in this time, the ordering impulse to notice, along with just the order as it's given, to look at and have a sense of, because that is part of how we do organizing. looking at the things that are there, looking at the orders we have, and the nature and the patterns and the systems already in place, giving way to the better systems that want to be in the aspect of Ephraim.
So everyone knows the temple doesn't get built under Libra. It gets built under Scorpio. A lot of what gets clarified under Libra happens and really is put to work under Scorpio. Mar Cheshvan. Yerech Bul. So this is a famous midrash, super obscure midrash, that God waited in his initiation of the temple until the moon was a little stronger, from Bul to Etanim. Etanim being the moon that Abba Mavinu was born under. And here he makes a little pun between the moon and the sense of smell. The word for smelling is the word for moon, and it's a little different than seeing or hearing, but he's sort of associating them all together in this one thing, noticing. Noticing the good that lets us notice the better. So here's, that was Aleph. This is Bet. He's building on a little idea here. The beginning of Solomon's prayer, that's being described as having come down in these days on this month, starts with, and it's said, you know, regularly in these days, in this month, traditionally, God, God of Israel, there's no one like you in the gods, in the heavens above and on the earth below. You could say, Here is what the organizing impulse is about at its most fundamental level in this song reflected, cutting ties with. And this is also part of the aspect of Ephraim that lets Ephraim be the seventh and Menashe be the eighth. Nisira, Sod Nisira, the secret of the split. Omek Rom, the Omek Tachat, Kiadul Maskilim. A depth of above and a depth of below. As is understood to the wise, to the enlightened. This is a reference to the Sefer Sirah. This is one of the infinite depths above and below, is split from each other. And this is the secret of creation as a kind of splitting. Nisira is what you do with a scissor, cutting off. And part of organizing and part of idealism is noticing the difference between priorities and cutting some so that others can grow. And this is why it's always a sort of harvest priority on some level. And everyone knows the Ariza, let's say, on every day between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, have to have in mind when you're praying a different thing 
that you're cutting off, a different thing that's being let go of for the sake of perspective, for the sake of liberation, according to each day of that day. And there's a source, you know, in the book where it does, Vidrushe Roshana Mamar Bet, Otchafchet, Inyan and Sirabic Tzera. And that's why he started praying on that day, in that way, in that language. Understand. But then he said something more, and we're going to come back to that. Had to run, had to run, had to run. Elecha, pop cartoon, Kabbalah. 